Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? <laughs> Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. A lot of ground to cover. Let us get started. Here is the reality. There are winners and losers in the world. There are people who come in first, and there are people who come in last, and there are people who come in in the middle. It's just the reality. I also think that as a practical matter, we should encourage people to want to succeed, and we should recognize that success. Which brings me to the story I want to start with. Mason City, Ohio. The school superintendent has announced that after much thought, they are going to be eliminating the position of valedictorian, that would be number one in high school classes, and salutatorian, that would be number two in the high school classes. They say we are no longer going to recognize somebody for finishing at the top of their class. Why do they say this? They say, well, look, we feel that we have seen unhealthy patterns by kids becoming well concerned and interested and obsessed with trying to you know study hard and work and do extracurricular stuff and, and it's become this you know kind of grind where they they want to be number one and we are concerned that this is causing anxiety and depression and we are concerned about suicide among teenagers so what we're going to do is we are going to eliminate valedictorians we're no longer going to recognize somebody for finishing first instead what we're going to do is we're going to have a system where you know anybody that has over a certain grade point average we're going to recognize them with like summa cum laude or cum laude or whatever so we'll have a group of people but we're no longer going to have individual competition because well you know we did some studies and and we found that you know kids were using their summers using their summers to take extra classes that that might help them i don't know end up number 1 4147991620 that is the accurate mortgage talk and text line all right we're concerned that gee this quest to be number 1 which has kids spending some of their summers bulking up on academics and things like that, that that might be causing too much stress and too much anxiety, so we're not going to recognize anybody as being the best. There's not going to be a number one anymore. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I'm sorry, I appreciate that it's tough to be a teenager nowadays. I understand that there's all these stresses that are out there, and, and I understand maybe there's more pressure than ever on young people. But at the same time, I mean, 
what, what are we going to do away with number ones? I mean, I, all right, it is, you know, last year, Christian Yelich, he was the most valuable player. Should we not have an MVP in baseball? Should we just say, well, we're not going to recognize anybody as being the best player because we don't want to hurt the feelings and we don't want to stress out the other players? In a couple weeks, my guess is that Giannis is going to be named the most valuable player in the NBA this year. Should we do away with that MVP player? Because think about how all the other people are going to feel. You know, if you are in the business world, let's say you're in sales, my guess is in many offices, there's sales competitions. Everybody knows, you know, who's selling what. Should we not have sales competition? Should we not give a prize to the top seller because, well, we don't want everybody else to be bad, feel bad? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't doubt that there are... Perhaps some kids who who get obsessed with the the pursuit of I want to be number one, and that becomes single minded and it becomes not good. But you you can you're going to have that with everything. All right, maybe it's going to be gee I I want to I be, become obsessed with dribbling a basketball, and so I'm going to work on this endlessly, or I'm obsessed with doing this or that or the other thing. So I mean I understand that there can be obsessions, but since when did it become a problem? by not recognizing who the best is. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Chris in New Berlin. Hi, good, good afternoon. What do you think? Um, my, my daughter was caught up in a wash and visited a high school she was at. She was one of the top performers. But I have no problem with eliminating the ranking of the number one, two, three. The challenge comes down to AP courses count for more. Some people take them because they'll give extra credit points, 4.3 instead of 4.0. Others don't take them because I might not get a higher score. And it hurts my GPA in the college. Mm-hmm. It's like the Brewers winning the division and beating the Cubs, but the Brewers took two extra games to play to do it. There's no level playing field. It's not a single set of rules with the AP course and extra weightings involved there. Yeah, but those are. But those. But aren't those aren't those choices that people are making? I'm going to take the AP courses, or I'm not going to take the AP courses. I mean, I admit that there might be games that they're playing, but. But still, there's one person numerically that ends up with the highest grade point average. Why Why shouldn't we acknowledge that? It comes more down into working the system as opposed to recognizing mm-hmm. what a student accomplished. Someone that got uh, nine fives on the AP course and someone that took ten AP courses but got four on one of them mm-hmm. comes up a half a point short. Well, they are getting um, dinged for taking that tenth AP course. Okay. It comes I, down to what's the point? I guess, well, Chris, I guess at, at that point, my, my comment would be, that that's a better argument for uh, adjusting the system. If the AP courses and the way they're weighted, if that's an issue, it's to me a better argument for adjusting the system than it is for saying we're not going to recognize who who is number one. I mean, look, I, I I mean, I look high school. I know who our high school uh, valedictorian was. Um, the, the guy worked really really hard and was really really smart. In law school, I, I know I did well, but I, I didn't finish at the very top of my law school class. I know the people that, that did. I married one of them. And, you know, they were they were just absolutely brilliant, and, and they worked very hard. I didn't mind them getting the recognition for the hard work and the success that they put in. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Stacy in Madison. Hi, Stacy. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Um, I guess I'm going to agree with the AP thing. I have three kids, and one of my kids 
to the AP. And the advanced you know, placement is what we're talking about, where yeah. you get extra credit. It's right. essentially you get extra credit, right? Well, that and she's going to graduate in three years because she took these physics classes. And, mm-hmm. You know, so sure. I I don't agree with it because you got kids that are like taking, you know, flare with foods and you know. So, so um, what you're saying is your daughter's taking the hard courses. You've got some that are taking bunny courses, so they know that they can get an A. Your daughter's taking advanced calculus, where it's right. harder to get an A, so it, it's not necessarily fair. Agree. Okay, but, but my question then to you is, though, okay, maybe that's an argument for reforming the, the AP system or whatever, the advanced placement system, but I guess big picture if one of the kids ends up with a higher grade point average than other kids, what what is what is the harm? Why wouldn't you recognize the person that has the highest grade point average? Because I took the easy route. Well, okay. Well, I guess. But what do you what do you care? Do you think it makes? Do you think it diminishes one child because somebody else is recognized as the valedictorian? No, no. I'm I, I'm just saying. You know, you've got a kid that is trying to do as much as possible, and mm-hmm. then you have the other kids that are just flying by. Yeah. No, I, I get it. I mean, right, it's a way of manipulating the system. But let, let let me also be really clear here in this conversation. The reason, The reason this school is giving for dropping valedictorians isn't because, gee, we're concerned that the system is unfair with APs. and uh, that, That's not what they're saying. The reason they are dropping the valedictorian and the salutatorian, salutatorian is because they believe the competition is causing too much stress. That, that's what they're saying. Look, we're concerned with teenage suicide, and we think that the pressure on kids to want to be number one is too much. So this isn't about a fairness of the system. This is more about we're putting too much pressure on the kids because they want to excel. And I guess my point is, is that a legitimate criticism? I mean, what are you going to do when you come into, again, that, that real world and you're, you're measured by various, what, whatever your chosen profession is, you're going to be measured. And there's going to be number ones and there's going to be people who are in the bottom half. And, and that's just kind of the reality. If we say that we're not going to recognize number ones anymore because it's too much pressure in high school, how are you going to cope with it when you get your first job and it's in sales and you're sitting at that quarterly sales meeting, or that weekly sales meeting, and they've got the list of everybody's names up there and they see who sold all sorts of stuff, and you know your name is at the bottom. I mean, if we haven't prepared you for for that, are we doing our job? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We pick it up right there. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Here's a text from Chelsea. Jeff, as a high school dance coach the past 10 years, I've seen an extreme increase in the level of stress in academics. I've had many students quit extracurricular activities and sports due to the number of extra AP and advanced level classes. I don't think the number one in class should be dropped, but I do think the number of classes, especially advanced placements, should be limited. And that is a fair comment, I, I guess. I take no position on that. This school that is dropping the the valedictorian and salutatorian ratings, though, they're doing it because it's too much of a, it's too much pressure. They're they're not doing it for some of the other reasons. And you know, we've had these discussions before about well, gee, if you have class rank, sometimes that makes it more difficult for people to get into colleges because 
Um, if, if you're number 50, you know, your number, you might be number 50 at one school with a 3.98 grade point average, and it might not translate to number 50 at another high school. I mean, I understand that, but that's not why they're dropping it at this particular high school in Ohio. They're dropping it because they think the pressure to succeed, the desire to excel, that, that's too much for the high school kids to handle. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Mike on the northwest side. Hi, Mike. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? My thoughts are that the uh, big MVP or whatever you want to call it, number one in the field, is a good thing because it inspires others in the field to get to your standard, being all parameters are the same. I was uh, voted you know, Territory Manager of the Year for a couple, more than a couple of years, in sales, and I think that it is a beneficial thing for people to aspire to. Mm-hmm. It, right. It, it was a goal. You wanted to be number one. You wanted to see your name at the top of that list. You wanted to get sure. the whatever perks that came with it, so it inspired you to work harder. At least to be on the list. Yeah. No, no. I mean, I guess that makes a look, and I, and I understand... I understand people can be obsessive with anything, and, and it doesn't, like I say, it, it doesn't it doesn't matter whether it's I want to be number one in academics or I want to be, uh, again, I, I want to, I, I'm obsessed with trying to make the, the volleyball team, so I'm going to spend hours and hours doing that, or, I mean, I, I understand that there's issues with obsession. I, I get it, and that's where I think the parents have to come in and the parents have to monitor this type of stuff, but but the idea that we can't recognize who is number one because some other people might get upset with it or might be stressed trying to become number one. I guess I just don't see that as a valid reason. Now, somebody texts Jeff, I can tell you don't have kids. If you did, you will know the stress kids go through to try to be number one. Well, okay, I I get it. But you, at some point in time, maybe that's where the parents come in, and the idea is you have to give kids a sense of perspective, and you have to teach kids that soon that they're going to be going off into the the real world. I mean, again, should we should we not have interscholastic athletics? Should we not have uh, do we get, do away with basketball teams because you're going to have winners and losers, and and the kids on the teams that don't win and you know that don't make it to the playoffs or whatever they're going to be depressed you know it's going to cause too much stress for them to try to be on the winning teams i mean i where do you end up drawing the line now look one of the things they're doing with the school and they're they're also saying look we're going to we're going to recognize people in different classifications we're going to say everybody that has over a certain grade point average you're going to be summa cum laude we're going to say that everybody who's over a certain grade point average is going to be cum laude i don't have any problem with with that at all but it's the notion that we're, we're not going to say who number one is. And as a practical matter, don't you think that at the end of the day, the kids are going to know who number one is? I mean, really? Let's talk to Teresa in Milwaukee. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Teresa. Hi. Hi. Um, I, I agree with you entirely about having a standard and a number one. I mean, the point of number one is there is only one. And then there are the masses. And you need to... Uh, compete and try to achieve the best you can for yourself. And there has to be a standard to measure against. And academia is dropping standards left and right and preparing nobody for real life. Well, yeah, I mean, right. And and again, I I don't think there's anything wrong with... (sighs) 
First of all, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with being number five in your class. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, you, you, you graduate, you're at the very top, you're, you're, whether you're number one or number five, I, I think it's something that you should be proud of. And maybe that's where the parents and the schools have to put everything in perspective. You didn't finish number one, but you know what? You did really, really well, and you should be proud of yourself, and you're going to go on, and you're going to have a great career. Maybe that's what we should be but that's what we should be teaching, encouraging that excellence and recognizing that there are going to be winners and losers. Yes, yeah. exactly. And if you choose to do AP courses, then understanding you're receiving a benefit to that. And if your grade point is lower, it doesn't matter. That that wasn't your benefit, but you're, you are right. achieving a benefit of having less college classes, which saves you big time in the long run. It's just a forward-thinking plan. Well, right. And again, you know, maybe... If you want to have a discussion about, see, at my high school years and years ago, if you took the AP classes and you got an A, you could get a five, not a four. Um, and, and some schools aren't like that. Some, like somebody was saying, it doesn't matter whether you're taking beginning basket weaving or whether you're taking advanced placement cal- calculus. An A is an A. It's only a four-point thing. And maybe you need to find a fairer way to do that. But I'm, I'm sorry, I guess this idea that we're going to pretend that there's not somebody who finishes at the top simply because we don't want to cause people to be stressed if they don't finish at the top, well, then maybe you need to do away with all honors. Because what, what about the stress is, oh, I've got to finish, you know, I, I, I really want to be summa cum laude. Unless you're just going to do away with, with grades, unless you're going to say, well, none of this matters, seems to me that there's nothing wrong with recognizing excellence. Maybe I'm old-fashioned, and it's true. I don't have kids, and I do think, you know, I understand how kids get wrapped up in the I, I want to be number one type of thing. But, all right, that's what the real world is like. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. I want to take just a moment and, and comment on some announcements that uh, the company made yesterday and just how cool I think this is and how unique it is in, in radio. And, of course, um, Good Karma Brands, which is the, the parent company that owns WTMJ and WKTI 94.5 ESPN, um, when, when Good Karma Brands acquired us – that they announced early on that their intention was to take 94.5 and to turn that into a, a live local sports station. And yesterday they, they made the announcement that that's pretty much what they're going to do. So from like 5 a.m. till 8 p.m., it's going to be live and it's going to be local. By that, it means it, it's staffed with local personalities. There's also going to be, of course, for what's been going on for the last several months is 540 ESPN. It's, they've been simulcasting that program on 94.5. Well, now the, the, the stations have, have been split, but 94.5, again, it, it's live, it's local programming, which is very, very cool. One of the things that's happening is Doug Russell and Greg Matzik, who have been doing various forms of Sports Central and things like that, they're going to still have a presence here at WTMJ, but they're going to also shift over and do programs on on the ESPN stations. And what that means is on nights, evenings where we don't have live sports, where the Brewers aren't playing or there's a day game or whatever, or there's not a basketball game, etc., what we're going to be doing here at WTMJ is we're going to be turning that over for more local live 
programming. Now, let me tell you why that is so cool. In the radio industry is no different than a lot of industries. There's been lots and lots of, of changes. And one of the things that's been going on in radio for, for years is you've been seeing consolidation. You've been seeing like these big radio stations just gobbling up smaller radio stations or radio station chains. Um, so you've seen consolidation. You've seen cutting. The idea of, well, no, we don't really need this particular host. Here's what we can do. We can... We can syndicate stuff. It's cheaper. It's easier. Let's find, you know, a, a syndicated show. And it's not local, but, you know, it's it's easier. We'll pay one person, and we'll put that person out on 50 different stations, and then we only have to pay one person. We, we don't have to pay all these different local hosts. That has been the trend. And candidly, I, I thought when we were, we being WTMJ, were up for sale, that was kind of the way we were going to go because the rumors were we were going to get gobbled up by one of these big radio conglomerates. And, and that, that would have been, I guess, okay. But what happened was something completely different. Good Karma came along and they purchased us. And, the, you know, it, it, it's the complete opposite of the radio model that you see right now because we, we are a locally owned radio station with owners and managers who have a commitment to live local radio, despite the fact that it costs more to do that because you have to pay the hosts and things like that, despite the fact that it's it's more of an effort because you have to find people who can you know do what I do for a living and things like that. But it is this commitment that Good Karma has, and that's why, like I say, they announced yesterday with moving the the non-live play-by-play sports programming, that the sports talk shows, you know, over to 94.5 ESPN, what that does is it frees up on those evenings where there's not sports and perhaps maybe weekends to a larger extent as well. It frees up time for us, that would be WTMJ, to go out and find, I don't know, maybe the next generation of talk show hosts, you know, and I, I think it's really exciting. I think you're going to be seeing over, hearing over the next weeks and months, you know, various people brought in to give them an opportunity to see if they like doing this and they're any good at it and they want to do it and things like that. A chance to, and in other words, a chance to develop the, the craft of doing a radio show like this, chance to see if they like it, if they want to continue doing it, and, and it's a chance for you to you know hear perhaps you know different voices and things like that it's not a it's not a political i was reading some things on the internet oh this is this political decision wtmj moving this direction or that no i mean i I know our management is looking for you know interesting voices and i think you're going to be hearing a lot of that and for somebody who's been here for 21 years now and all i'm excited by that opportunity the fact that again it is a commitment that this station has to serving our listening audience to serving you, the fans, again, by local programming. It would have been so much easier just to say, okay, well, we're going to go out and find some syndicated show now, and we're going to put that in. That would have been the easy way out, but that would have been the cop-out. And I, I sent this out on Twitter yesterday. I, I think it's exciting. I'm thrilled that WTMJ has made this decision to do this, and I think, you know, it, it's an exciting, perhaps, start of a new era, and that's absolutely tremendous. So kudos to station management for doing this, and I encourage you you know, to listen in the evenings coming up because I think you're going to hear a lot of new 
distinct voices, perhaps some interesting voices. And, you know, who, who knows? Might be the next radio superstar waiting out there to uh, start out on nights at WTMJ. It's very cool. It's very exciting. When we come back, the bad guys aren't getting the message. Where do we go from here? Stick around. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're back. Let me let me state my position on this very clearly. Of course, the police have to chase. Now, everybody, I think, is familiar with the decision the Milwaukee Police Department under the former chief with the blessing of the mayor made a number of years ago. They were concerned that chases were putting officers and and pedestrians and innocent civilians at risk. So they instituted a policy. This goes back to about 2012, where police were only allowed to chase someone if they suspected the vehicle to have been involved in a violent crime, which essentially meant they did no chases. So if a car drives by going 90 miles an hour and there's a bunch of kids that are making obscene gestures at the police and they blow through a red light, the cops weren't allowed to chase because they didn't know that it was, they had no evidence to believe it was a violent crime. What happened also is the drug traffickers, they, they smartened up because they knew the cops wouldn't chase. So here's the problem. Let's say you're a drug dealer. Well, if you're dealing drugs out of your house, it's a fixed location. Somebody figures that out. They tip it off. The police get a search warrant. They go raid the fixed location, and they busted you. Well, how about the way to avoid that is you just bring your drug dealing out to the street. You drive around in a series of cars, maybe stolen cars, maybe not. You're dealing drugs out of the cars instead. So instead of... The purchaser's coming to you, you're coming to them, or you're meeting them somewhere in between. Police see drug deals going down. You go to chase the car where the drug dealer is. He drives away. Well, drug dealing's not a violent crime. They had to let him drive away. It was leading to complete and total chaos on the streets. So after a bunch of citizen complaints and complaints from aldermen who were getting tired of getting citizen complaints, they changed the policy. 2017, they went back to the idea that police are entitled to pursue vehicles involved in reckless driving and suspected mobile drug trafficking, in addition to the violent crimes. So when the car drives past you at 95 miles an hour, blows through the red light, turns out the car is stolen, you can follow it and try to catch the people. All right. Now, inevitably, what's going to happen is that means there's going to be accidents. Sometimes the the fleer, the person driving recklessly, is going to lose control of the car. They will hurt themselves. All right. I don't have too much sympathy for that. You would hope it doesn't happen, but I don't have sympathy for that. Other times, they are going to run through a red light and hit somebody. And in some cases, they, they cause some very, very serious injuries or ultimately death. It is an unfortunate thing, but it is a byproduct sometimes of chasing. At the same time, when you're driving 90 miles an hour and you blow through a red light, whether you're being chased or not, you're putting people's lives at risk. Well, here's the latest the latest numbers from last weekend. Yesterday, the cops announced, this is the Milwaukee police, that over the weekend, there were nine vehicle pursuits that resulted in 11 arrests 
along with the seizure of three guns and illegal drugs. Police said the pursuits, um, 70% of which occurred between 6 and 8.30 p.m., resulted from reckless driving, armed robbery, and property crimes. So presumably they would have still been able to chase under the old policy for the armed robbery, but otherwise, no, not the property crime, not the reckless driving. In seven out of the nine cases, the drivers were arrested. There's one other known suspect that the police are are looking for. All right. So it's successful. They're catching people, but they are unquestionably chasing more. And there's some people, and there's a story that was on Channel 6 the other day, guy who's a cab driver who got banged into by one of the cars that was fleeing from the police. And he's going, well, all of a sudden I turn around and I get hit by this car. It's dangerous out there. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The Fire and Police Commission is going to be meeting day after tomorrow. And they're going to be at least studying internally this change in the chase policy. There's no movement right now to to go back to the old, let's let the bad guys drive away. But they're going to be looking at it. And there are certain members of the community who think it's a better idea to let the bad guys drive away. I'm not one of them. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I actually think... When I see that you have nine pursuits and resulting in 11 arrests, that tells me that the policy is relatively successful because you're getting the bad guys off the streets. So from the perspective of what the Milwaukee police is trying to are trying to do, I think they are accomplishing their goals. What needs to happen now is there needs to be follow up. There needs to be a commitment by the district attorney's office that when you have the guy driving the stolen car that blows away from the cops and goes through the red lights at 75, 85, 95 miles an hour, and they catch that person, there is going to be a commitment to prosecute them. And then there needs to be a commitment by the judges in Milwaukee County that when you get that guy who's got four prior criminal convictions, who's caught driving the stolen car, running from the police, that he's going to go to jail. So, I mean, you need to have that follow-up, but it starts with the cops catching people. And the more and more the word gets out that you're not going to just be able to run away, maybe the fewer people will try to run. But in the interim... I don't believe you can let people drive away. 414-799-1620. Let's start with John downtown. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, sir. Hi, John. I'm an Uber and Lyft driver, and I drive about 70 hours a week, 10 hours a day, you know. Um, And I, I agree they should keep this chase policy going because, I mean, it's the only way that they are going to clean up this problem in our great city so you're you i mean you're out 70 hours a week my guess is between and i don't want to talk about the police chases my guess is you see just a ton of reckless irresponsible dangerous driving on a regular basis forget the chases you you want to get those people off the street correct correct it's the only way that i mean that's why insurance rates are so high because i mean if you look it's all about your zip code. What zip code you live in? Right. If you live in certain zip codes in the city, 
you'll get killed on insurance. Right. Well, you know, and, and it's one thing, you know, we and we don't talk about, you know, we, we go back and we say, okay, well, these are the number of collisions that occurred as a result of the police chasing. But that's a fraction of the number of collisions that occur, a lot of which are people, again, driving 70 miles an hour, driving in an irresponsible fashion, blowing through red lights and, and hitting people like you who are out in the intersections. Oh, I agree 100%. I mean, at, at 3 in the morning, I'm paying more attention to the traffic that's coming up behind me right. than what's in front of me sometimes. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Thanks. No, I, I get it. I mean, that, and, and see, and that's the thing. And, yes, and I understand that when you chase, that the effect is uh, on occasion there's going to be a bad result. I, I get that. But to let people who have committed crimes or who are driving the stolen cars or are drunk to, to allow people. I mean, if you're trying to talk about a quality of life thing, like I say, the drug dealers got wise. That's just the reality. They said, well, we're not going to sell drugs out of our houses now. We're going to sell drugs out of our cars. And when the cops see the drug deal going down, we're just going to run. You know, we're going to drive off and we're going to run and yeah, maybe they'll catch us later on. But by then we've, you know, we've gotten rid of the drugs or whatever. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to another John in Milwaukee. John, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey there. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I'll keep it brief. Um, simply, I think it's a necessary policy because you will always have, you know, the potential for collateral damage, like let's say other drivers on the road, if mm-hmm. there is a pursuit. However, there's going to be damage if you let those individuals go, too. It may not be to the same people, um, right. but it is going to be damaged nonetheless to society. So I think it's a good policy, albeit a difficult one. Yeah, no, right, right. and again, I, I've always been real clear here. I mean, there are some times where you can't chase. I, I have never argued that you should chase every time you get the opportunity. I, I don't believe that that's that – it, look, because at some point in time, you know, if somebody's going to run away, maybe the circumstances are such that there's pedestrians all over and it, it's too risky for the police. It's too risky for the pedestrians. I mean, sometimes you have to break off chases, but I, I think – you know, police need to have the discretion to be able to go after people. Again, the challenge is, and this is when I read all this stuff about, you know, the controversy involving the, the police chases, the follow-up is what happens to the folks once they get caught? See, because that gets lost. You know, does the DA's office treat this as seriously as everybody else does? Do they issue the charges? Do they plea bargain these things away? And when people get convicted of doing this, will the judges in Milwaukee County hold Hold them accountable, even if some people are saying, oh, this is leading to mass incarceration or whatever. You need everybody to be working together to get the criminal element off the street and make things safer for all of us. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1257. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. All right, this next topic, I admit on the surface, it's kind of like the the ultimate first world problem, but it raises some of these larger issues, which I find to be intriguing. Let me start off. The PGA Golf Championship is this weekend. It's being played at a very, very difficult course called Beth Page, which is in New York. Um, 
This is the PGA Championship. For those who don't follow golf, it's one of the four majors. There's the Masters, there's the PGA, there's the U.S. Open, there is the British Open. They always used to play the PGA in August. They've moved it up. So it's, it's, it's going to be played this week. There is a golfer. Maybe you've heard of him. His name is John Daly. Daly is, he's 53 years old now. He, he's a complete and total train wreck on, on many different levels. Daly came to prominence back in 1991, where as an alternate, he won the PGA Championship. And based on that, he still gets to play in the PGA Championship, although his best days are way behind him. John Daly, God bless him, but he's, he, he's, he's overweight. He's been wrestling with various alcohol problems over the years. He's a chain smoker. He he looks, you know, you see him on the golf course, and he looks like the kind of guy that, well, maybe is in your foursome on a, on a, on a Sunday at the at the uh, local public course. That that's it. All right. So here's the deal. John Daly has asked for permission to not walk the course when he plays this weekend and the PGA has decided that they are going to let him ride in a cart I think this is a ridiculous decision and we will discuss and I, I think again this raises some of these larger issues that are are out there now golf I understand a lot of people don't think golf is it's not athletics now, these aren't athletes etc etc well I, I, I respectfully disagree with that I mean if you look at at the timing that you need and the strength that you have to have, that's I, I think they're clearly that this is an athletic endeavor, which isn't to say that other that everybody can't play it, but to play it, I mean everybody can play basketball, but it doesn't mean you're going to be in the NBA. Also, part of golf, I think, and part of the athletic stuff involves the fact that you have to walk if you are playing as a professional. Now, I understand for a lot of folks who are trunk slammers and stuff like that, you know, you get the cart, you ride along. I play Sunday mornings. I played with the same group of guys for years and years and years. We take golf carts. Okay, a couple of the guys I play with a little bit older. It's it's just fine. We have fun. We take golf carts. We take golf carts. It gets us around. A couple weeks ago, I played 18 holes of golf on a Saturday, and the, the the course wasn't allowing carts out. So I, I walked. And I got to admit, I mean, it was the first time I've walked 18 holes in a long time. And by the time I got off that golf course, I was huffing and puffing and my legs were sore. I mean, uh, you know, up and down on the wet ground. Now, look, I'm not saying it's like running the marathon or anything, but walking makes it a different thing than riding. It, it just it just does. And it's more and more of a challenge. So John Daly rolls around and John Daly says, well, here's the deal. He says, first of all, um, I, I, I've got various health problems. He says that I, I mean, here is the deal. He said, I, I recently had meniscus taken out of, of my knee. So it's tough for me to walk. So I, I want a cart. He said, also, um, I suffer from osteoarthritis. And what that means is it's difficult for me to walk down hills. So because the course, it's a golf course, it's uphill, it's downhill. I, I've had the meniscus taken out on my knee. Well, I, I want to be able to ride because it would be too hard for me to walk. And, you know, if you didn't let me take a cart, I probably couldn't play. 
Well, okay, Th- this happens to golfers all the time. Um, you know, Tiger Woods hurt his back, had back surgery. Well, okay, they, they, you know, he has to walk. Nobody gave him a cart because, you know, walking puts strain on his back. You've got, you know, other golfers, particularly golfers who, like Daly, are in their 50s. You know, they've got bad, they've got bum knees. They've got sore feet. They've got aching backs, and all of them are going to be walking. But the PGA has decided, well, because of the Americans with Disabilities Act, you know, we we think that, you know, we need to allow Daly to ride in a cart because otherwise he's not going to be able to play. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I think I understand the Americans with Disabilities Act, and I get the idea of simply because somebody – I don't know, has a, has a bad knee or a bad back, that, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be, to the extent they can be accommodated, that a workplace shouldn't accommodate them. I, I understand all that. So it's kind of like, well, you know, if you've got a desk job and you can't sit because your back's messed up, is it reasonable to expect the employer to give you a stand-up desk? Okay, I, I get that, and I don't oppose that at all. But this is athletics, this is athletics, and if because of his age or his physical condition or his health, if he can't walk, which I believe is an important part of this game, well, then I, I don't think I don't think he should be playing. And that's just the reality that happens. Age catches up with people. People get injured all the time. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this decision number one is wrong and number two big picture i think it's it's not in keeping with what the americans with disabilities act is really all about which is i don't know you know trying to make sure that people who have legitimate disabilities you know aren't excluded from the workforce i don't think it was ever intended to be applied to sporting events and candidly, I mean, is John Daly going to win the championship? No, he's not. But it gives him, I believe, an unfair advantage over other players who would say, geez, we'd like to drive the course, too. You know, if if we didn't have to walk, we wouldn't be as winded, etc. We'd much rather have a cart. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. See, I think there's larger issues here, uh, you know, because who cares if John Daly you know, gets to ride the golf cart or not? Except the justification for him doing this is because, well, he you know, he's got a disability. You know, he's 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 got he's just. He's lost all the meniscus in his knee, in his knee. You know, he can't walk uphill. He can't walk downhill. Well, well, okay. If that's the case, well, maybe he needs to find a different profession other than trying to be a professional golfer. I just don't think it's fair to the field to have somebody who, yeah, right. He's got these different ailments, but now you're going to let him have a cart, whereas everybody else they're going to have to walk up and down the hills. Where do you draw the line? You know, Tiger Woods. You know, he won a championship several years. Years ago, playing on what turned out to be a fractured leg. Nobody gave him a cart. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Kurt in Waukesha. Hi, Kurt. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Good. Okay. What do you think? I think he's a professional athlete competing at a professional level, and he should not have the ability to use a cart. If an NFL player or an NBA player gets injured or has a problem, are we supposed to say no tackling this person or let's 
everybody's yeah. career, don't touch them. I mean, right, right, or, or, or baseball. I mean, what what's the deal? You know, if you have somebody that injures their, same thing, injures their knee and can't run, or you have to have a designated runner, so you let them hit, whatever. It's, it's a professional sport, and I would argue that walking is one of the key elements of that sport. Agree 100%. Yeah, no, thanks. I mean, I just, and, and I, I appreciate both the letter and the spirit of the Americans with Disabilities Act. What bothers me is where you have, I think, people trying to game the system. Now, look, some people are saying, well, let him ride because John Daly's entertaining. We all know he's not going to win, but he's one of these guys going to have a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. And, you know, he's going to be the guy that's drinking beer in the parking lot. And he's just going to be hitting the ball a, a long way. And he's going to be fun to watch. Well, okay. That 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 that's fine, but then you know, bring him out for an exhibition or something, and let him ride around in the carts. You've got to, I think, protect the field, and you've got to respect the integrity to all the other golfers. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. John in Illinois. John, you're on WTMJ. Thanks for your taking my call. Thanks for calling. Uh, actually, the PGA is being very critical here. Uh, a few years ago, they had a player that wanted to use a cart. Uh, he had disabilities. Mm-hmm. They, and the American Disability Act was in effect at that time, too, and they refused. Yeah. I think that because John Daly is a draw uh, for a lot of people and the fact that he's won the PGA tournament a couple of times, uh, they're making an exception for him. Uh, but as I yeah. said, very hypocritical. Well, right. You're probably thinking. Remember, there was the case of a, there was a golfer a number of years ago named Casey Martin, who had a who was born with uh, it was born with a, a bone disease, and you know the, the PGA fought and fought and fought, and ultimately, you know, he was allowed to you know ride a cart in a couple sort of events. But in general, they've been non-cart. Phil Mickelson, you know, with, you know, he, he's Phil Mickelson has a problems with right arthritis. He, he doesn't get to walk. Uh, Freddie Couples has a bad back. He's got to walk. I mean, it's just, it's, I guess it's just frustrating because I think walking is part of the overall sport. And that was the PGA's argument a few years ago. Right. So, right. Yeah, exactly. No, thanks, Nicole. No, and that that's it. But again, it, it's... I mean, it it says, okay, where where are we going to go here? And is this what the Americans with Disabilities Act is really all about? Right? It's a, you know, somebody just said, what about Aaron Rodgers? Aaron Rodgers, you know, uh, last year he gets hit and he you know he injures his knee or he injures his leg or whatever. All right, should we let Aaron Rodgers continue to play football, but just say, all right, we're, you're not going to be allowed to hit him because you know now he's he's got this injured leg. I mean, injuries are unfortunately. It's something that is the nature of sports. It happens from time to time, and sometimes it ends careers because that's the nature of it. Just because, just because you have golf carts that are out there and people can and do ride golf carts, I don't know. I just, I guess, it bothers me because I don't think it's fair to the other golfers that are out there. Jim and Madison, Jim, you're on WTMJ. Yes, I agree with you, Jeff. But I do not think that the ADA is intended to deal with something like this at all. That said, then the PGA just needs to make a firm decision. Either they allow anybody who wants to use a cart to use a cart, or they, and what I think they should do is, no one can use a cart, no exceptions. Right, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, all right, what what happens if you wake up one morning and you've kind of slept wrong and you've tweaked your back a little bit, or you've, you know, you've got a, you know, you've, you've kind of pulled your, your, 
pulled your calf muscle or something, I mean, then it's, do you have the option? No, you don't have to walk those those 7,000 yards uphill, downhill in the wet grass. Just, just take a cart. You're right. I mean, you have to either, I think, to be fair to the field, you have to do it one way or, or the other. That's the big picture. Right, and I work a lot with accommodating people with disabilities, and you can't even deal based on what the doctors write because any of the golfers could get their doctor to say, ooh, he shouldn't have to walk this far today because he has X, Y, or Z. Right, and yeah. Everyone right. would get an exception. No, right, yeah. exactly. Thanks for calling. And, and I guess what – see, one of the the bigger reason I bring this up, like I said, I understand golf is a first-world problem. Who cares if John Daly rides unless you're one of the other players that's you know slogging along on the wet golf course thinking the guy's got an advantage. But, but the larger point here – is what I think is going on is you see someone who is trying to manipulate the, the system, that a, a legitimate system, right? We're all very, we're all very concerned with with people who have disabilities, and, and yes, should employers have an obligation to make reasonable accommodations so people can continue to engage in their livelihoods or do things that they're good at or whatever? But just when when there's just easy workarounds i, I mean i nobody disagrees with that but at the same time you have some things that are that there's an inherent thing that is involved with doing whatever the job is or in this case the competition and if you let somebody ride i will tell you I was um, much more winded after I walked 18 holes on Saturday than I was after I took a cart playing 18 holes on Sunday. And my guess is I'm probably in just as good a shape as John Daly is. I might even be in better shape because I'm not going to be smoking cigarettes and drinking Miller Lite in the parking lot. Not that there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but you get my point. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. During the break, Melissa and I were just talking about the whole Anthony Weiner story, and it's just maybe this is maybe it's good that I do not understand this because, of course, Wagner's rule of life number seven is that unless you are a pornographic film star, and maybe even then, it's never a good idea to take nude photographs of yourself. And I mean, I don't understand the mindset. I mean, here you have this guy who's a congressman, and he's taking nude photograph. He's he's photographing his junk, and he is sending it off at, to. God knows where and God knows who. And then later on, you get into a similar sort of thing where he's dealing with like 15-year-old girls in North Carolina. Or you're using the alias Carlos Danger. That's one of my favorite ones, is you're sending more like nude photographs of yourself. And yeah, I guess it's, I, I appreciate that it's it's endemic of, of a problem. But my goodness, who who thinks this is a good idea? Oh, here, this is what I'm going to do. What what good is going to come of that? And the answer is, especially if you're a congressman or you want to be the mayor of New York or if you're just anybody, the answer is, you know, probably just say no when that temptation arises. I've never had that temptation. How about you, Gruel? No, you neither. No, no, no. And our respective significant others are both very happy to hear that. No question about it. All right. The, the Journal Sentinel has a story today. I think it's on the front page of the story either today or yesterday. And it's something that we have discussed from time to time or on the program. But they take a decidedly Milwaukee approach to it. I am, I am a dinosaur when it comes to paying for things. I, I, I mean, I have credit cards. And I use credit cards. And I use credit cards a lot. But I still I carry cash. And I pay for lots of things, particularly small purchases in cash. I went through the, the drive through at a Burger Doodle this morning to get a diet soda and a breakfast sandwich. It was four bucks. I reached into my pocket. I pulled out a five. I paid for cash. 
Now, I, I understand that is not the commonplace thing. Most people put everything on credit cards. If it is a small purchase, I will often pay, I will almost always pay with cash. And, and even for, you know, dinners and restaurants, and, and, you know, if I've got the cash, I will probably do that. I still carry cash, but I admit I am the exception. To, I, I appear to be the exception to the rule. Well, the, the story in the paper is about a, a coffee shop slash bakery that has decided that it's in Brookfield and the owner the owner says they don't take cash anymore. What they do is if you if you want to stop into that coffee shop and you want some of their bakery products or you want the coffee, they only take credit, debit, or mobile device payment. Now, there's a lot of reasons why they do it. We'll get into that in just a minute. But this is starting to become more and more of a trend. And as the Journal Sentinel points out, and I, I made this point when we talked about this before, at Pfizer Forum, you know, where the Bucks play, there are about, well, it's about 15% of the vendors that are there. They only take cash during Bucks games. They're cashless during Milwaukee Bucks games, and it's part of a test by Bucks management. Customers can pay with cards or their smartphones at the cashless vendor locations. If you want to buy something and you don't have a credit card or you don't have one of the mobile phone devices, you're, you're out of luck. Now, it's not all the vendors. You know, it's only about 11 out of 60, but it, it, it's cashless there. They don't take cash. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Various cities, starting with Philadelphia, have outlawed this practice. They have made it illegal by local ordinance for vendors not to accept cash. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, we're talking about somebody who does, like I say, pay cash for a variety of of reasons, and I understand I'm not getting the points on my Visa or my Master Charge card when I do it. But nevertheless, I just, I, you know, it's just I'm I'm old school that way. And if I'm buying a newspaper and a cup of coffee and it's a couple dollars, I'm not going to charge it. I understand why merchants don't want to take cash. There, there's a lot of reasons for it. First of all, they believe that cash slows them down. The employees having to balance their register at the end of the night and having to make change and things like that. They believe that, you know, in some cases it might make them more likely to be robbed, depending on where the business is, if they know that there's a bunch of cash there. And there's other reasons as well. They think it provides for quicker service. But I guess my question, what I want to discuss with you is, first of all, I think this is the wave of the future. I think we're moving more and more towards a cashless society. But I guess my question is, if if you're running, you know, Jeff's co- Coffee Shop, or Jeff's dry cleaners, or whatever, do you think that you should have the right to say, I'm not taking cash? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, you see the signs up all the time that say, no shoes, no shirt, no service. All right, I mean, isn't this the same thing? Could you say, no credit, should you be able to say, no credit card, no service? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The reality is if you do it, there will be certain people who won't be able to patronize your place. And, you know, it's going to be people who, well, in, in many cases, it might be people who, for whatever reasons, can't get credit cards. So you are going to be excluding 
arguably a certain segment of society. You know, all right, we well the you know homeless people, for example, you know, probably aren't going to have credit cards. They're not going to be able to come in and patronize our place. All right? Does that mean? That the employer, that the business shouldn't be able to say cash only, for uh, non-cash only. 414-799-1620. My take is, I think if you're an employer, if you're a business owner, you should have a right to decide what you're going to take. To me, it's no different than saying, all right, we're going to accept Visa, but we're not going to accept American Express or the Discover card. But we will take one credit card. Well, but I've got only got an American Express. Well, too bad, sir. You're you're out of luck. I think they have the right to decide not to take cash. Now, does that make economic sense? Maybe not. But that doesn't mean the business should, I think, have to take cash if they don't want to. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. All right, Jeff, here's a text. What about the uh, people under the age of 18? They, they don't have credit cards. Well, no, but maybe they have a debit card. Maybe they have one of those you know, those money pay things that you can do on the phones. And again, I, I'm not arguing that I think that, that the businesses should do this. That would be refuse to accept cash. But I'm arguing that I think businesses should have the right to do it if they choose. And I think this is the direction we're moving. Now, some people are all upset about this because they say, well, you know, the, look at the people who are less likely to have credit cards. It's typically going to be low income folks. It might be a disproportionate number of people who belong to this minority group or that minority group, and you're going to be excluding them. Well, it's not an intentional effort to exclude anybody. It's just that the merchant is deciding, hey, I don't want to deal with the hassle of having to deal with cash. I think they have a right to do that. 414-799-1620, even though I'm a guy that pays for stuff with cash. Ben in West Bend. Hi, Ben. Hi, how are you? I, too, am a person who spends uh, cash a lot of the time, but I think the, the, the store owner has the right to say, hey, I only want to take cash, or I only want to take credit cards, or I want to do both. The only thing I would say is, and then it's up to the customer to go elsewhere. Yeah. You know, there's, I, don't, I don't think anyone has a monopoly on anything in America anymore, maybe other than some of the major corporations. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those things where the clients, now obviously it's going to hurt your business regardless of what the decision is. So mm-hmm. I would vote for keeping all options open. But I understand where these store owners are coming from because most of the people they're hiring today don't even know how to count. So, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's true. I mean, no, no, no. no I understand. You know, try, trying to balance a cash drawer at the end of the night, trying to, you know, if you, you know, if you've been like handling lots of cash, my guess, my guess is you got people there 30 minutes or an extra hour trying to figure out, you know, what went wrong with some of the counting process during the day. Yes. So I think, you know, the fact that uh, I just think it's, it's a good policy for some places and it, and it's really up to the entrepreneur to say, hey, I, I want to continue doing just cash or just right. credit card or both. Yeah, no, thanks. I guess that that's my point. Look, I, I don't know enough about the different types of retail operations that people have. And, you know, keep in mind, too, I mean, one of the downsides of, of using credit is you're, you're paying a fee. You know, when, when I give people cash, 
boom, I mean, they're keeping all that money. When I use my Master Charge or my Visa or my American Express or whatever, you know, a, a portion of that sale, whatever the percentage is, the vendor, the, the seller is going to be sending that off to, you know, American Express or Master Charge or Visa or whatever. So, I mean, you know, maybe it's just simply a business decision. So by making the decision that you're only going to use the credit cards, you're, you're agreeing that you're going to lower your profit margin. But again, I, maybe, you know, for some of these businesses, maybe the cash is just too much of a hassle. Like I say, I personally prefer all the options. But to your point, Ben, I, I agree completely. There's, you know, all right, so, you know, Jeff's Coffee Shop says you only can use credit cards or debit cards. We're a non-cash business. Yes, it's true. If you don't have a debit card, um, you're not going to be able to come in and buy stuff at our place. But all that means is you're going to be able to go down the street, go down the block, and go to Gru's Coffee Shop and buy Gru's Coffee and pay for it with cash. And we are this kind of free market society. So if enough people are excluded because of this credit card only policy, I'm a free market guy. I guarantee you what's going to happen is, you know, you're going to have somebody else come out and say, hey, look, I, I welcome, I welcome the cash. And, and how, how far do you take this? Let me give you an example. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of gas stations out there that are open 24 hours. But they're, they're not staffed for, you know, after 10 o'clock at night or, or whatever. You know, they've got pay at the pump. You pull up, you know, it's 11 o'clock at night. There's nobody in the store. You can't pay cash. So if you want to put gas in, you can use the credit card. All right. Now, if you, you know, don't have a credit card, you're not going to be able to buy gas at that particular store at 11 o'clock at night. You need to have the credit card to do that. Should we then say, well, no, no, no. If you're going to have those pumps open, that means that you're going to have to have somebody inside to take the cash. I mean, how far do you carry this? Again, I think this is a business decision, and government needs to stay the heck out of it. And, again, you you make the best business decision that you can. And, again, if there's a lot of people that rebel over the idea that you can't pay cash, a competitor will emerge and will be glad to take your cash. That's the way America works. I don't have any problem at all with this policy. Back in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, so Melissa, before you leave, did I, I, I was listening to the news intently, as I always do when you're doing the show. Did, did I hear you play a clip from President Trump describing the the trade war thing with China as a little squabble a little between squabble. like friends? Yes. Something to that extent. Little a little squabble. squabble. Mm-hmm. A little squabble. Okay, so uh, let's just kind of re- even with the stock market up 300 points today, ever since President Trump started threatening to impose tariffs a week over a, a week ago, um, the stock market, even with today's gains, still probably down over a thousand points. Huh. A, a little squabble. President Trump imposing $200 billion of tariffs on China and China retaliating by imposing $60 billion in tariffs on U.S. products. Chinese imports now saying, okay, well, maybe we don't need American soybeans. And as you can tell, I'm just, 
I, I'm a free trader, and I understand that there's all sorts of issues with China. I just don't believe tariffs are the way to uh, approach this. So a little squabble. So $200 billion in tariffs on Chinese imports. They re- respond by $60 billion in tariffs on U.S. imports. Um, we're talking about potentially crippling certain areas of the economy, including agriculture. So now we're going to have the taxpayers bailing out people. That's a little squabble, huh? Well, according to some people, that's a little squabble. That's a little squabble. Or according to one person. <laughs> that's like saying that's like saying the Titanic had a little problem with ice. I mean, that, that, I mean it's yeah. this, it's a yeah. It, it look it's it, it's a big deal. And I we spent a lot of time on yesterday's program talking about this and I understand that some some people you might believe that China's been getting away with just economic murder over the last several decades with regard to trade policies and and they need to be reined in and and maybe there's an element of truth to that i just again i don't believe that i don't believe anybody wins in a trade war i i just don't think that's the case and i i also think framing this as a little squabble i mean you're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars in tariffs that by the way the companies don't pay the countries don't pay you and I pay that. I mean, when you increase the cost of Chinese goods that are coming into this country, well, what that means is you can charge the manufacturers more, but then, okay, they just pass it on to Melissa and me when we buy the goods and, and vice versa. So I don't know how this whole thing turns out, but I, in fairness, I wouldn't be describing it as a little squabble. But I just want to make sure I heard that correct. You okay. did, correct. A little yes. squabble. Okay, okay. Look out for that iceberg. Oh, it's just a couple ice cubes. Who cares? All right. Let us switch gears. Last weekend, there was a horrible story out of Kenosha. It involved this this 15-year-old. And let me tell you where I'm going with this. 15-year-old murdered his um, estranged 15-year-old girlfriend and also shot her mother. Um, the mother is in the hospital, but they think that she will recover. The 15-year-old girlfriend is dead. The 15-year-old has now been charged as an adult because the law says, due to this nature of this crime, he should be charged as an adult. Some people are already wringing their hands saying, well, he is only 15. Now, here's what the criminal complaint says happened. The guy who's been charged, used to be a a quarterback for the the football team down in Kenosha. His name is Martise Fuller. Um, His girlfriend was this woman named, this girl named Kaylee Juga. She was a cheerleader. And apparently the, the two had broken up, but he was one of these sort of controlling, obsessive guys. Now, he's only 15. He'd been expelled from school due to intimidating and threatening contact with the the girlfriend. So according to the criminal complaint, what happens is he goes over to her house last week, um, essentially breaks into the house, confronts the girl in her room, and and shoots and kills her. The mother, you know, hears stuff going on. The mother runs up, confronts the 15-year-old. He then turns and shoots her multiple times. She flees to the bathroom, calls 911, but she's ultimately able to survive survive this. The 15-year-old girl, dead with gunshot wounds to her head and chest, she dies at the scene. Again, the, the shooter here is 15 years old. 
He has a friend drive him about 10 blocks away after this. He had a bicycle that was stashed in the area. He brought a change of clothes that he was going to change into after, you know, the shooting. So he had planned this out, and he had planned out his his escape. The kid apparently told, you know, somebody else that, um, you know, he, he felt really bad about, you know, what was going on here. Um, but, you know, he, he just he didn't necessarily intend to kill anybody, but he did go over to shoot people. All right. He's now 15 years old. He's charged as an adult. Some people are wringing their hands saying, well, he's only 15 years old. You, you shouldn't you shouldn't take his whole life away from him. He might be a materially different person at 30 than he is at 15. Our number, 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is life in prison too harsh a sentence for somebody who at least allegedly commits a premeditated murder at the age of 15, and it is only but for the grace of God and medical science that there's not two people dead as opposed to one. But he's 15 years old. Should he ever see the light of day? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer is no, but I'm curious as to what you think. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Horrible story out of Kenosha. 15-year-old premeditated, planned out murder of his estranged girlfriend, attempted murder of her mother when she confront when she confronts the killer. All right. Any sympathy? Is it unfair to say, all right, you know, you're not getting out of prison ever again? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us, 414-799-1620. There's this huge movement in this country that says we are too harsh with certain juvenile offenders and and juveniles that commit heinous crimes should not be sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Matter of fact, several states have statutes that say exactly that. So now we have this story from last week out of Kenosha. Clearly, if the allegations are correct, premeditated killing by a 15-year-old of his girlfriend and an attempted murder of the girlfriend's mother. Should this kid ever get out? 414-799-1620. Fred in Appleton. Fred, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi. Hi, Fred. Good talking to you today. Uh, after hearing that hor- horrific story, it uh, brought me to what happened when I was working at the Walmart in Nina, Wisconsin, when uh, Justine Boyd shot my friend uh, Sharon. And uh, so she's she's in prison right now. So she's losing her life because she almost killed another person. So this young man's losing his mm-hmm. opportunity for uh, having a redemption, being out when this other young lady he killed is no longer there. There's yep. no grandchildren. There's no history. There's no Christmas. There's no birthday parties. None of it. It's right. all gone. 
Right, and and there would have been the the mother would have been dead as well. Like I said, I mean, he shot her on multi, multiple exactly. times. She was just able to retreat and lock herself in a bathroom or something and call nine one one. I well, what about the argument that well, he's only fifteen. He might be a the, the 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 teenage brain is different than the adult brain, and you know he might be a different person at the age of forty. I I don't agree with that entirely. Um, I. I I remember being a 15-year-old, but I was a pre- pretty mature 15-year-old, and I understood the right, right from wrong, right. and I knew the consequences from doing what I right. should or shouldn't have been doing. Right. So I don't believe that at all. Thanks for calling. I, no, and well, I, well, I mean, look, and I, I accept that you know adolescents are, are different and and it, are more maybe prone to impulse than you know adults. I mean, I understand all that, but to your point, Fred, I don't think it changes the equation any. I mean, you, I think you have to you have to look at the crime that was committed. Now, I'm a pro-death penalty guy, even though the Supreme Court's always said you don't apply the death penalty to juveniles. Okay, that, that that's fine. But, I mean, I do think that there are certain crimes that you commit that, you know, in premeditated homicide, planned out killing, I think those crimes are so heinous, they are so great, that, yeah, I, I think that, you have to pay the ultimate penalty, whatever that is. And in this case, the death penalty is not applicable. But if that means, all right, for the rest of your life, we're going to remove you from society because of this behavior. And even if we're only doing it as punishment, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. A 15-year-old girl is dead. The mother, you know, severely injured in a shooting. You know, the whole family, it's just, I I mean, the, the life is taken away. All the girls' family and friends, their life is going to be forever changed. I'm not going to be sympathetic. I'm sorry, no sympathy at all for this 15-year-old. And if I'm still around 40 years from now when he turns 55, probably not. But if I'm still around, I'm still not going to be sympathetic for him. And I don't... I mean, I don't think that makes me a bad person. 414-799-1620. Nate in Muskego. Hi, Nate. You're on WTMJ. Yeah, I'm on the same page. Um, I think our justice system is too lenient on these criminals. They commit a crime, they get slapped on the wrist, and they get out, and they do it again. Well, okay, but let's be fair. In this case, I don't think anybody's talking about slapping him on the wrist. I guess the choice would be... Um, should he at some should he be eligible for parole? Should he at the age of thirty five have an opportunity to be released from prison? I guess that's what the question really is. Absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, that young girl, she doesn't get to come back. She yeah. doesn't get to live her life. The family doesn't get to heal. It's yeah. And us as a society, we pay for it. It's ridiculous that right. these these people, you know, a slap on the wrist. You get to live in jail. You get free health care better than most working Americans. Well, that, I mean, there there is. Okay, th- thanks for calling. I remember I, I've told this story before. Back back in the days when I was. Um, when I was chasing bank robbers and drug dealers and things like that, I, I had 
I had somebody tell me, Jeff, you have to understand, we don't send people to prison for punishment. We send people to prison as punishment, which I, I thought was kind of an interesting thing. In other words, this whole concept of, well, we, we don't want to be too harsh on the prisoners. So to your point, now look, do I want to be in prison for the rest of my life? Absolutely not. Do most of us? No. I mean, I can't imagine having your liberty taken away. But to your point, you're, you're right. For the, the next several decades, maybe the rest of this 15-year-old's natural life, yet yeah, he is going to be he's going to be incarcerated, but he's you know going to have access to the prison libraries. He's going to have access to the exercise yards. He's going to have three meals a day, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and that's going to come at the taxpayer expense. It hardly seems like that is necessarily a fair outcome, given. What he did to the 15-year-old, and I, look, this is one of these things where somewhere along the line, you know somebody's going to say, oh, this is just terrible, he's a different person at 35 than he is at 15, and he wouldn't do it again. Well, maybe, maybe not. I don't know that you ever know that if somebody is so over the edge that you can commit a crime like this. How can you guarantee me that 20 years from now or 25 years from now they're not going to do the same thing? But regardless, it doesn't change the nature of what they did. It is so heinous that you have to pay, I think, the ultimate penalty. Dave in Milwaukee. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Well, I agree with you, Jeff. And to add on, um, you send people to prison as punishment, but you also send them there to protect the rest of society. And. And we have to look at that in these cases. And you opened up this segment by saying there's a movement afoot of people to um, treat these juveniles. We also have a movement afoot um, of lower and lower aged offenders committing yep. higher and higher levels of violent crime. Yep. And and this this particular uh, 15 year old, he fought like an adult. He acquired the firearm. He had a plan for escape. He mm-hmm. acted like an adult, and he needs to be charged and then punished like an adult. And and you've seen the failure in Milwaukee County of the juvenile justice system in dealing with violent crime. Right. The juvenile justice system is is designed to um, help rehabilitate juveniles for petty crimes. The juvenile justice system is not designed to deal with heinous, violent right. crimes and violent People. And I would, like you say, uh, in researching his history, this is probably not his first time at the rodeo. Yeah, well, I mean, it's in, I mean, thanks, Nicole. Now, it is interesting. Apparently, the kid has no contact with the juvenile court system. But, again, the story I'm looking at says that um, he was a starting quarterback on the football team. Uh, both had been sophomores. He had been expelled due to intimidating and threatening conduct with the victim. Now, why that didn't translate into some contact with the juvenile court system, I don't know, but but that's what they end up saying. You know, to your point, and it's, you, you make a very interesting point about crimes being committed by younger and younger people, and, and you're, you're you're absolutely right, not not necessarily the the extreme violence of, of this case, but but just crimes in general. I mean, if, if I would be fascinated to go back and look at the number, for example, let's just take car thefts in the city of Milwaukee as an example. And my guess is you're going to see a disproportionately high number of car thefts that are committed by, by juveniles. And I understand that's not the same as murder. I, I get that. But still, it and it in many cases, my belief is it's going to be the same 
relative handful of juveniles who are doing it over and over and over again, who aren't being waved into adult court, who are being slapped on the wrist. And, you know, sooner or later, what's going to happen is they are going to commit some progressively more serious offense. It's going to be a carjacking and the gun is going to go off and somebody's going to end up being dead. And then we're all going to look back and say, well, gee, why was that person out on the street after having, you know, stolen 10 cars, you know, when they were 14 and 15 years old? It was predictable. And yes, it will have been predictable. It will also have been inevitable. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Drew, who's producing the show today and always, you knew you knew that that conversation was going to generate a, a lot of response on the on the old Twitter there. The, the the general consensus is, for example, Lena says the SWAT did not enter the home. The SWAT team did. Now, I you know, I don't know. We'll 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 figure it out. That's kind of what I thought. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I am correct. All right. A year ago, you might remember this story. Sarah Sanders, you know, everybody remembers Sarah Sanders. She was, you know, the White House press secretary. Um, She's having dinner at a restaurant called the Red Hen in Lexington, Virginia. And this was the time when the Trump administration was taking all sorts of heat for um, separating children from their parents when they came into the country. So here Sarah Sanders is eating at this restaurant and the owner of the restaurant um, decides, you know what, I just, I don't think, her name is Stephanie Wilkinson, she said, I just don't think I, I want to serve her. And so what she does is she goes up to Sarah Sanders and she says, I, I don't want to serve you, I think you should leave. At which point in time, Sarah Sanders says, well, okay, and and she she leaves. And then the the owner, I'm looking at a piece that the owner wrote in the Washington Post today, says, gee, I was shocked to wake up the next day and find out that this matter had come up on social media and that I was getting criticized for having tossed Sarah Sanders out of my restaurant. Can you imagine the the shock that I, I found? People were upset. And then she goes on to say about how predictably what happens is, especially with the world of the Internet, that she's getting all this really, really rude criticism and things like that. And that's that is, of course, completely inappropriate. You know, the folks that would say say things to her on the internet that they'd never say in person. But she's writing this piece about how she's shocked that, you know, within 24 hours, she's getting all this blowback for, you know, throwing Sarah Sarah Sanders out of her, her restaurant. And I guess I would say, really? I mean, you know, really, you know, you decide to tell somebody that because, you know, they're the White House press secretary and because you don't like the guy they work for, you're not going to serve them. Well, okay. I mean, but she says that she's surprised about all this. Well, she says, okay, it's it's now been a year. And she said, well, what happened at first is it cost us some business. But after we reopened, um, you know, we did have a lot of people who were coming in and saying they're now going out of their way because they want to eat with us. They want to eat at my restaurant because they respect the idea that I threw out the White House press secretary at the time. And, you know, they're, they're supporters. And she says, I'm, you know, it's a year later. I'm happy to say that business is still good um, because 
of that. And she says, hey, her point is, you know, it, 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 you know, you can be part of the resistance. You can toss out these people that you disagree with because of their political views. And you know what? You can, you can survive and you can grow your business, which I thought was kind of an interesting take. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. A lot of the things we talk about on this program come down to my basic philosophy of that you, you have a right to do something, perhaps, but it's not necessarily the right thing to do. And I, I'm, I understand, first of all, this lady says she got all this hate mail and stuff, some of which was particularly nasty, and, and nobody's going to condone that. And I wish, I wish people could communicate using the Internet or whatever in a more civil sort of fashion. But at the same time, She's she's proud of the fact that she tossed Sarah Sanders out of her restaurant. She's proud of the fact that she did that. And now she's buttressed and emboldened by the fact that she did it. And yes, she got some blowback. But now she's got all sorts of other people who are all equally proud that she threw this woman out because of her political beliefs. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. She's a business owner. And she has the right to refuse service to anyone for any reason as long as it's not an illegal reason. And political beliefs aren't an illegal reason. At the same time, is this the right thing to do? Do we really want to live in a society where you have a particular restaurant owner or a bar owner or a grocery store operator or a barber who says, I'm pro-Trump and you're not, so I'm not going to serve you. I'm not going to sell you food. I'm not going to sell your cut your hair. Or the alternative, I'm part of the resistance. I can't stand Donald Trump, and I know that you're somebody that supports him, so I'm not going to serve you, and you can't have a drink here, and you can't eat a meal here, and you can't. Uh, I'm not going to cut your hair. Even if you have a right to do that, is it really the right thing to do? 414-799-1620. Gru is lining up the calls. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. My answer is, okay, th- this, this lady might have had the right to do it, but it's nothing to be proud of. We discuss in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're back. Here's a text. Jeff, I can't stand Sarah Sanders. But it was wrong not to serve her. Yeah, that, that's, that's my point. And this lady who did it, it was a year ago. She's got a piece in the Washington Post. Ah, the resistance is what resistance isn't futile. She's proud of the fact that she threw Sarah Sanders out of her restaurant. And I, maybe she has a right to do it, but I'm telling you, I, I don't think that's the right thing to do. Katie in Burlington. Hi, Katie. You're on WTMJ. Hi, I think it's not only a poor business practice. I have a difficult issue there. I mean, does this woman profile everyone that comes in her restaurant to know what they think on certain issues or mm-hmm. what their their background is? It really is reminiscent of racial profiling, religious profiling, handicap profiling, and all of it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I find it just ugly. As a business, you should embrace any customer that wants to come in and use your services without disruption, with enjoyment, and with appreciation of what you do. And if you start profiling people, then you better be ready with a, you know, a, a, a some kind of form that everyone needs to fill out before they cross the threshold. Because that, to me, is it's just 
Well, well right, and, and, and so, I mean, it, it's going to be like the whole separate but equal thing. Are we soon going to be at a point where, okay, all the Republicans, you're only going to patronize certain gas stations and certain hairdressers and certain barbers and certain restaurants, and all the Democrats are only going to go to certain places? Is that really where we're coming to in this we're, country? We're just so above that. Embrace, you don't have to agree with everyone on earth, and thank God we're not all the same. And and have a, you know, but this is, this has nothing to do with politics. You're not inviting them into your, you know, your home to, to right. teach your kids. You're, they're, they're eating. A di- it's just, well, it's really ugly. Well, it is. And, it, and it's, I mean, thanks. Now, this lady is saying, hey, my, you know, my, my business is good. I, I've done well by doing this. I, I wonder if that's the general sense. True story. Last night we were at, I was the MCA for this Armed Forces Banquet. Beforehand, I was talking to a gentleman. I hope he doesn't mind me telling the story. Um, he, he happens to be a tr- Trump supporter. And, and he says he's been going to the same barber for like a decade. And he said that he and his barber kind of get into a political argument. Uh, the barber's not a Trump supporter. And so, okay, fine. That, that's, that's it. You know, that's it. You sit at a barber shop if you're a guy. Sometimes you talk about sports, you talk about politics, you talk about music, all those things. He says that when he calls back after the, the little argument they had, the guy says, nope, I've got no more openings for you. In other words, he says, I'm, I'm not interested in your business. And the guy I was talking to last night is saying, Really? I mean, you know, I, I, he was a decent barber. So the guy says, okay, well, the person I was talking to, that's, that's fine. There was another barber shop across the street. I go there now and I make sure I leave big tips. Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Well, I kind of echo the same thoughts as the, the caller before you and with your thoughts is kind of like, it, it, it really doesn't have a place. I mean, where does it, where does it stop then? Right. I mean, I get, I mean, I get the thing that if you're, even with that whole, what was it, that cake baker thing with the right, but but that was of course that was the the you know the re- that was a religious thing. This is right, just this yeah, is a right, right. This is just a political you know you know threshold so to speak, and and it, it divides families as it were, and it's just oh yeah, it seems like it's. What, you're not going to sell me a car now because I, you know, I have a Trump sticker on my, you know, on my trade-in. <laughs> right. I mean, what, you know, what's the deal? I mean, well, well, right. That, that no, thanks for calling. And again, th- th- there is a little bit of a difference, even in, in the like the masterpiece cake shop. That's what they call it, the baker who didn't want to make the the wedding cake for the gay couple. I mean, even in that particular case, he wasn't refusing to serve them. He's refusing to make the wedding cake. He said, look, I'll, I'll come in. I'll do this other stuff. It's just I, I don't support gay marriage. I, I don't know. I, it just this whole piece just kind of struck me the wrong way because, again, there also is, I think, a double standard. If this had been somebody that had refused service to Barack Obama or to you know somebody that worked for and was prominent in the Barack Obama administration, Eric Holder, um, you, you know that they wouldn't be writing a piece a year later saying, hey, I, I'm proud that I refuse service to Eric Holder. It is kind of that double standard. Hey, before we bring John McCure in, I, I wanted to just say something on a very, very personal level. If um, think, think back to what the worst day of your life is, the, the worst day of your life, and, you know, you can define that. How, however you do. Um, if up until a couple of years ago you asked me, Jeff, what's the worst day of your life? I might, I, I'm not sure I would have come up easily with an answer. No question, worst day of my life three years ago today when my first wife passed away after a um, courageous battle against, uh, against cancer. And I, I just, after that happened and when word of God got out, I, I received 
thousands and thousands and thousands of cards and emails and letters from 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 you from from our WTMJ audience and it was something that was very important and and kind of helped me process and and get over that and i think if you've been a regular listener you know that i've been very blessed in my life to uh, you know reacquaint with a wonderful woman and remarried and i've got the, this whole new life that's out there but it doesn't change the fact that i vividly remember everything about 3 days ago and i i know maybe you're out there and maybe you're wrestling with something like that whatever that is you you've gone through just the worst day of your life and you're wondering what happens next and i guess my only message to anybody who might be in that situation is i, I tell you what happens after the worst day of your life and that is the sun comes up the next day and you know you you, you go on with life and if you're if you're lucky and you know things work out you've got support and you've got love and you've got you know people that care about you you know you you've got a chance to rebuild that life and that's what happened to me but i it's it's been 3 years since that that happened and it's 3 years ago today and i just again i wanted to say thank you to everybody who was listening at that time for all the support and all the encouragement and all the good wishes it made more to me than you can possibly imagine. All right, when we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around. This is Jeff Wagner.